On today's episode of Board Game with Education, we look at low prep game-based learning solutions. There's a lot of valuable content in this episode, a lot of great resources that Sean shares and some great insights we kind of dive into to help you come up with ideas for using game-based learning solutions with as little prep as possible. So be sure to tune in and listen in. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can always reach out to us at podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com. And check out our website, boardgamewitheducation.com. Sign up for our newsletter because in that newsletter, I always send out new podcast episodes as well as other great content or resources that I've found useful across the internet or any other things that we're working on at Board Game With Education. So you don't want to miss what's happening in our email newsletter and with our email community. Again, boardgamewitheducation.com, you'll find that newsletter. One of the first things on the homepage, you need to scroll down just a little bit and you'll sign up there and enter your name and email. So without further ado, that's a reference to what we talk about in the episode. Let's get into our chat. Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. All right, I'm back here with another episode with Rich, co-host. How's it going, guys? Uh, glad to have you back, and we were just chatting, I guess... I guess I recorded this episode in December with Sean, so it's March now, uh, but Rich had a chance to kind of listen to the conversation, and we're going to chat about what Sean had to say. So let's listen to that conversation, then we'll be back in just a moment. All right, welcome to another topical-based discussion. Like I mentioned, chatting with Rich, this conversation is about low-prep game-based learning solutions. So I'm joined by Sean McMillan, who is an educational game designer, and he has some history designing some games. I just blanked on the name of the game. I think I want to say Alliance Game. Is that the that's correct? right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I got it right. So he's designed some. I guess that's like a, a massive classroom-based simulation that you designed. I watched the video. It's pretty cool. So Sean, would you mind introducing a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So uh, I was a professional graphic designer, then I became a teacher, a high school teacher for several years. And during, while I was teaching, I realized, oh man, I got teaching and simulations are the best way to let these kids, you know, learn on their own. And so we, together with my students, we created Alliance, the world leader political science mega game. So you can have up to 72 participants. They all, they all role play as world leaders of these various different nations and they divide up into teams. And yeah, they basically have four hours to solve all the world's problems. We also created, or I've created some educational card games and board games, and uh, I'm currently working on a podcast and uh, blog, bestclassever.org, and yeah, that's where I publish a lot of my ideas and lessons and stuff. That's awesome, and that's that's the term I was looking for, mega game. I've never played a mega game, but I really, really, really want to, and I don't think, I mean, we're recording this December, so pandemic is happening and it's really i mean anywhere in the u.s you pretty much cannot go see other people um but i hope i can play one sometime soon 
Could you share what is a mega game really quick? Yeah, mega game is we use board game mechanics and we use a gigantic war room uh, map. It's basically a gigantic board, like a board game, but it's big enough that, you know, 12 people around a large table can gather around. And basically it's war gaming, but for a large group of people. And typically it can be a slightly fictional context. Uh, our, my, my mega games tend to be much more realistic because I want students to feel like world leaders with real world real world problems but other mega games deal with sci-fi scenarios and all kinds of stuff right there's a really cool podcast called shut up and sit down that does a lot of board game content and they they love mega games so i would suggest searching youtube if anyone's curious for a mega game shut up and sit down you'll probably be able to find one that they played it was really cool to watch but mega game is like probably the most prep that you can do for a game-based learning solution that's right yeah it's a lot of preparation so we, we want to look at maybe that's something we can talk about in a future episode but right now we want to look at low prep solutions so first could you define game-based learning for us we've talked about that a lot on this podcast but it's always nice to hear about um, perspectives like i mentioned it's nice to see what types of things guests prefer to highlight or touch on for game-based learning yeah, uh, game-based learning. So I think it's a little different than gamification because in gamification, you're just adding game mechanics to the the already previously established uh, pedagogies that we're all familiar with. But game-based learning is really where you do play games and then through the game, you learn the technique or the skill that you're trying to, or the learning objective. You convey it through the mechanics of the game, which is very difficult. To, it works really well when it works, but it usually works for very specific learning objectives. And so the reason why I'm exploring this kind of low prep, you know, it's like game-based learning is awesome because it's you're you're preparing this really dynamic system where the the students are in the driver's seat. But it takes a lot of more preparation than anything any other form of lesson because you literally have to design and de- fully develop and test the game before you're ready to launch. Right and. I mean, you mentioned you're working on some board and card games. So there's there are some games out there that are already designed to be educational game-based learning solutions, I guess. But a lot of times we might be looking at hobby board games or a mishmash of game mechanics we come across to use in our classrooms if we've looked at game-based learning. Um, so you are talking about, or we're going to talk about some low prep solutions. So what... How much prep is low prep? What would you define low prep as? Well, in the recent past, I was looking at low prep war games because there are some war games that actually are very open systems. They can be applied to a lot of different scenarios and they don't require a lot of components. And they don't even require, because you know, I think a lot of us are familiar with tabletop RPG or Dungeons and Dragons, which is uh, a very in-depth, uh, very uh, rule-based and, and it's, complicated right but you know there are other tabletop rpgs that are super easy that require very little dice uh the best example i can think of is one called a honey heist if you know honey heist it's like a one-time sit down there's very simple rules you only use one six-sided dice and uh but that's not like an educational game but i was looking at some war games that uh that they actually use in the military and are very simple, very easy and very low prep. But even more recently, I found a technique that's even more low prep than that. And so the lowest prep game that I've found is really just having one really awesome multiple choice question that's based on, like say for instance, if you take a history lesson or if you take uh, anything that's based on a piece of literature, like say 
Shakespeare, the one that I, the example that I used recently was a Shakespeare play. Every Shakespeare play comes down to some critical decision that the main character has to make at the the midpoint crisis, like the third act, right? If it's a five act play. And so you can just take that scenario and then think, okay, this guy's going to have maybe three major critical alternatives that he has to choose between, right? Go to war, retreat, or maybe some creative third option. And if you could really design that multiple choice question well, you can put, you can stop at that point in the story or the context that you've explained and then let the kids, you know, or let the audience choose in a live poll or like just looking at a whiteboard with a question written on it and I'll let them all vote on like what they would do in that scenario. And they don't, if they don't know the outcome, if they don't, if it's not a well-known story, then, you know, they really don't know. They really, it becomes just as dynamic as a real game and is engaging. Yeah, that's awesome. And it reminds me of some things I've seen with content creators in board games or other games. They call on the audience to decide the moves that the player makes within the game. So they'll like open up a vote system and whatever move gets the most votes, they'll make that move in the game. And what's really interesting is this, I guess, narrative-based choices within a game and how it's a, I guess, the book is Choose Your Own Adventure. Or the, I think that's trademarked, I hear. From somewhere. Oh, really? So it's similar to that style book. Um, what? So I guess what is a game? Because that's something that I think is pretty contentious as far as looking at what is a game when you ask game designers. Uh-huh. And some are pretty gung-ho about what their definition is a game and it must meet these requirements. But what would you say is a game for the context of a game-based learning solutions? Hmm. What is a game? Well, all the definitions of game usually have some involved. They usually involve play to some degree, right? And that's the only reason why we don't consider typical school, or most students don't consider typical school a game, because technically speaking, right? You do school is like a game. It's a well-structured system. It has a leaderboard, right? Because we kind of the students kind of know, at least in high school, they know where they stand in the in the class rank. Uh, you have, you're being scored all the time, right? You even have like end game bosses in the form of tests and exams and quizzes, but it's just not fun. <laughs> Somehow we managed to bureaucratize and, and make it manufactured like such a large structure and force all these students through it that it just really takes the, the fun out of learning. So for me, my like whole philosophy of teaching and developing games is like, hey, learning was meant to be fun. Like, I don't understand how we managed to take the fun out of this, but let's bring it back in. You said something really cool that made me think that, well, maybe learning is kind of fun because <laughs> you called quizzes and tests as end game bosses, which <laughs> makes me think and realize that's definitely a game-based learning solution is kind of flavorizing tests and worksheets and creating a structure of, I guess, uh enemies maybe some worksheets are different enemy types and you acquire these points for defeating a worksheet and then the end game boss maybe you have a uh more points for beating that boss i mean you want to look at that a little bit more uh thematically and in depth than just assigning points but i think it holds true that these are some things we can look at as far as creating lower prep solutions yeah. And, and for me, I, I, a lot of times when I try to understand these things, I, you know, I really like to analyze and really go to the deepest level of analysis. I'm like, I try to reduce things down to like 
three, I, I always find like, if I can just reduce it down to like three abstract ideas. So for instance, uh, when you look at Aristotle and how he understood like drama, I think he wrote, he wrote a book about like plays and what makes a great play. And you, you know, it, a lot of times it comes down to like three really amazing Greek words, right? And so for me, I look about games, I'm like, what are the critical elements of a good game? And, and, and you know, a game typically you can be reduced down to some kind of the, the context and the structure, the context is very important or the, in, in drama, we would call it the exposition, right? So you have like the story or the historical time period or the, the, the setup, right? So, or who are these characters and what, is, what do they want if it's a story? But in a game, you know, like chess, it's like royalty, right? There's some kind of, th even if it's a very thin layer, at least there's some theme. And then, you know, so like you, you, there should be three, typically most games have some type of shuffling or RNG or some kind of dice, right? So some kind of random unexpected twists or surprises. And so for me, that creates mystery. There needs to be some mystery, some, some unknown element. Or sometimes we have asymmetric information. Like I know some aspect of the bigger story. You know some aspect, but I don't know what you know, don't know, and you don't know which parts I know and don't know. So there's some hidden aspect to it. And then, of course, you need to have a very structured set of rules or expectations or like an obstacle that needs to be overcome or some difficult choice. So for me, games, it looks like they come down to some form of these three things. And it's when you have those three dynamic things going on simultaneously, that's when you have an overwhelmingly powerful dynamic experience. If it was only two things, then it just becomes like a puzzle you need to solve, like a simple math problem. But as soon as you have three things that are impacting your brain and pushing you in three different directions at any given time, that's when you feel like totally immersed and just slightly out of your element, like slightly beyond your, your cognitive ability. So I'm wondering, do you have an example? I'm trying to think through my process of things and games I've looked at designing. Do you have an example of a time where maybe you've had two of those three things and then you realize, oh, this is the third thing I need to create this game-like experience for my learners? Oh, especially when I design games, like a, card, a simple card game, because usually the easiest way to design a, a card game is you just start with a simple mechanic. But when you only have one mechanic in the game or one mechanism, it just doesn't feel dynamic enough because everyone's just focuses on how to solve that one problem. But when you're trying to solve that one problem and then you get hit sideways with something else, for instance, maybe someone is lying to you, right? Well, now you've got to like try to understand who is lying, who's giving me reliable information. And then I have limited options within the card from my hand. So I need to choose about which card to play based on who I think I trust. And then on top of that, if you have some third element, like for instance, maybe we're all going to lose if we don't manage the, if we don't manage to do this before the clock runs out or before the deck runs out, now you've got enough going on that like you're, it, you really are immersed in trying to solve this puzzle, this like dynamic puzzle. But anytime yeah, you start that, with one mechanic, it just feels like an incomplete game. Like this is just not, <laughs> there's just not, not enough going on here. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm thinking back to a game that I had designed for English language learning. And I've talked about this on the show before. It's a, it's a, um, business English um, business English course that I taught at a university in Taiwan and we were looking at negotiation and looking at grammar structures within that unit and I created a game with secret agendas for each group 
and each group represented a different company and they had these resources that they had to trade with other companies to fulfill their secret agenda. Their secret agenda awarded them points and then the resources they had at the end of the game awarded them points. But throughout the negotiation process, I would give them some time to go talk to different companies and then they would have to come up to the start to the front of the classroom and announce what their offer is to another company. The other company had a chance to come up and uh, agree and accept that offer or give a counter offer. So really a lot going on then. Right, right. So I'm thinking through, well, where where did that start? And that was kind of the the idea of the learning outcome. I wanted them to use negotiation. So maybe how could I make that more simple without having to think through the resources they need, the secret agenda. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you have any suggestions. Well, because I was designing mega games. In mega games, there, at least for me, there was always the temptation to throw in more. Like, let's throw in, you know, the, you know that concept they say, like the kitchen, everything in the kitchen sink. So we ended up with a game that we ended, because the game has evolved a lot over the years. And I have uh, a second version of it that I bring to board game conventions and stuff. But I ended up with just too many asymmetric things going on, too many mechanics, too many different roles for too many different roles. And uh, we liked overwhelming the players. But at, at some point we realized, oh, you know, actually this game, we now we're looking at the game and we're thinking, okay, this actually will be better if we can take it back down to the parts that really do work and then just take out the parts that are just too much. Because you don't want to end up just explaining rules all day long or, or yeah, it, it just becomes... Because if it really is a dynamic system, then every change or thing that you add should be affecting everything else. And so yeah, right. I, I, these days, I think much more in terms of reducing down to the, the parts that really work, especially since with the with the COVID-19 thing going on right now and then people trying to switch over to virtual and online, uh, it's really making me think more critically about, okay, I, I definitely want less component games, like games that do not rely heavily on components, but rely more on the conversational aspect or the social dynamic of the game right and that's <laughs> that's something we've started playing a game at the end of these podcast episodes and that's something i've been racking my brain on well what are some conversational only games that require no components right. you can play through conversation and it's tough it's tough i'm trying to like think of different board games and how those can be modified for conversation based play and it's hard <laughs> so i'm wondering if you have any advice for a teacher and again, the, we're recording this in December, so maybe by the time this comes out, when we're listening to this, maybe, 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 it's not looking like it, but maybe some schools are back in session or we're remote. Do you have any suggestions for either type of learning environment, whether it's all online or in person, for a teacher that would want to jump into a low prep game-based learning solution? Well, the thing that I worked on most recently that comes to mind is, like I said, this. Uh, what I did is I took King Henry the Fourth and King Henry the Fifth. These are two plays or three plays by Shakespeare, and I was trying to take that whole. It's also a, a film. If you've seen this film called The King on Netflix, so I highly recommend this film. It's one of my favorite movies recently, and uh, you know this young King Henry or King Hal, he, he gets into this really amazing predicament, and so. I made this multiple choice question based on the midpoint crisis. He kind of has to decide whether or not he wants to uh, go. To, he's already at war uh, with France, but then he has to decide. He gets outnumbered five to one uh, by surprise by the Dauphin, the son of the, the heir to the French throne. 
And so he's got to decide, do I go to war or do I not? Do I take this, use this risky strategy or do I retreat? And, and uh, anyways, this, so I have the four multiple choice uh, alternatives. I have three, maybe one, maybe a, an additional creative one. So maybe three or maybe four options for the audience to vote on of which one they want to choose. But then also it's kind of like a, I created a flow chart. So I made it to where, okay, if they choose to, for example, do a challenge the challenge the dauphin to a one-on-one -on -one sword battle so like they can do a duel and then decide the fate of the battle based on the duel right which he does actually in the movie well the prince just laughs at him he's like that's not the prince the the dauphin the french right general he had he laughs at him he's like oh what are you scared no let's go to war you brought your little army yeah you can fight my big army Right. So the students don't know that that's that he got humiliated like that, but they can choose that option. And then as, as a flowchart, OK, if they choose that alternative, then we can explore that and then we can show the result and then bring them back to the question now without that that element in there. So it becomes more dynamic. But it's not obviously that it's 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 very simple to the to the audience. But, you know, as a teacher, you have a little bit more prep behind that. You know that, like, OK, if they choose this option, this is what the results are going to be. And then for one of the options, if they choose in, in this scenario, if they take the really, really risky strategy, which is suggested by Sir John Falstaff, his right hand uh, advisor, well, then you have to you can decide what the odds are for that and then roll dice or, you know, use RNG over Google. You can Google search RNG and it'll give you a random number generator and you can, you know, say, well, OK, there's like a, so many odds that they need it to rain in order for this to work. Sir John Falstaff, his knee is swollen, so he thinks it's going to rain tonight. And if it rains, then they can use light armor to attack a heavy infantry and be more uh, mobile. But this only works if, like, it rains, right? So you have to roll for that. And then, of course, with war, there's always the random uh, randomness of, like, whether or not your troops fight better or their troops fight better. So you can just determine odds for that. And if you have a really smart class, a really astute class, you can even talk about what the odds should be and negotiate over the odds. Uh, and even have like a philosophical, you know, debate about like how predetermined are things or not. You know, I think even Shakespeare himself was exploring the idea of like, do great men make history or does history make great men? And, uh, you know, you can get as deep or not deep as you want and you can lead into another question or you can just focus on one key question. But yeah, I think low prep, it doesn't take much actually, you know, a slideshow is, is really all you need. Cause you can even make a slideshow dynamic, right? If you, if you, Go, if you you can go like you can skip ahead to certain slides if you decide make a certain decision right you can create different hyperlinks within the google slide or powerpoint yeah my my brain is on fire with ideas now because i'm thinking you could even you could start as a springboard for your class you have that i guess that huge question or decision that a character has to make within a story and you give them those options. But then I wonder if you could put the rest of the decisions on your students. I see them, maybe this is kind of just thinking out loud, like they, they form groups and they create their own flowcharts for what would happen and then give it to a different group. And then the, each group goes through those flowcharts and then they can kind of discuss about that too because then, then there's, less, there's less prep for you as a teacher as well. I don't know. I, had, I guess you'd have to try it out. I'm not sure. I imagine it would work pretty well, though. Yeah. And is anyone who's really taught, you know, like anyone who knows the reality of teaching in a classroom with, you know, 18 plus students, you know that 
you know, coming up with games and all this is kind of extra on top of the already crazy workload that you have and all the administrative duties and grading that you need to do. And so a lot of times we don't get, a, even though we could make these really great dynamic lessons, we just don't get around to it because it's fun to make lessons, but it's kind of endless how much you're going to perfect your lessons. And you kind of got to just cut it off and get to work, all your other responsibilities. But I like this because it's something that can be done on the fly. And especially the idea that you just mentioned, anytime you can push on responsibilities like classroom management onto the students where they're managing each other or they're dividing up into groups and then they have like a, each has a role. And so they're, they take on all the active roles and, and, and are managing things and you can literally just be hands off and walk around and watch your students learn and then step into certain groups. And you know, when you, when you set it up and prepare it well and you structure it well, you become this, the, the active participants in the classroom are the students and you're actually just passively walking around watching them learn. That's right. always to me the ideal classroom. Right, right. That's the, I think the more, the learning model that more and more teachers and schools are leaning towards. I mean, it's, I guess you and I, we you've mentioned you've taught in Korea and I've taught in Asia different parts. And it's really interesting because that model where a student-centered approach is very foreign. That's not, that's not a very oh, yeah. comfortable model there, right? for students in Asia. Yeah. So, very um, very disciplined. yeah, right. So I think, I think in the U S it's, it's a lot more comfortable and it has been for a while. That's, that's an approach that we're used to. My, my so, proudest moments as a teacher thinking back is like, I love when I can, like, for instance, a teachers will have me come in and run a mega game for them. And they're so shocked because three quarters of the way through the game, I'll be sitting next, they're, they're on the sidelines watching like spectators and I'll walk over there and watch with them. And they're like, shouldn't you be running the game? Like it, you would think that I would be running the game, but actually the students are all running the game. And I even have uh, a, what we call a white cell or a referee team of students that are, are refereeing the game. And the kids are so overwhelmed and busy in the mega game. And I'm just sitting back and laughing and watching because, you know, they're all learning like crazy, but I'm, it's not because I'm teaching. It's because the system is so dynamic that it's, it's, it's generating random lessons on, you know, on its own. And the students themselves get up and after the game is over, stand up and, and give these really profound realizations that are unique to each of them. And they share with the rest of the, the room. It's like they become the teachers. They become the world leaders. They become the profound thinkers. And we're all just listening and taking notes. That's awesome. And I guess maybe one other question is we were talking about the realities of teaching and I loved my teaching schedule in Taiwan and summers off are awesome. And the long winter break in Asia <laughs> yes. is, is very long. We have two months off in the winter. So I have opportunity to kind of prep these lessons and go over things that I had made in the past and refine them. But I wonder what would you say is a good balance between investing time into these kind of lessons and kind of just going with what you have? Yeah. You know, preparing lessons and stuff, especially in the summertime, I always found myself in the summertime, like working really long and hard on some gamification system for my new class and then just abandoning it at the last second. Cause I realized like, ah, oh, this has just not worked out perfectly. And this, I just can't, I'm already overwhelmed with just trying to teach my lessons. And, but you know, if you don't, I, I feel like I always told myself, when I was teaching that like, if I wasn't doing at least one project that didn't just terrify me and like scare the crap out of me, then I wasn't really pushing myself as, a, as to be a great teacher. But at least every year I was like, I had one new project I was working on that really was scary to, to kind of bring uh, to launch. And, and, uh, but I felt like that it made it fresh and it made it dynamic. So I think 
it's good to challenge yourself and to have at least one major project that you're kind of experiment experimenting with. But you know, we're always kind of relying on a lot of uh, old curriculum as well. But it's important as a teacher not to just always rely rely too heavily on the old materials because I, I heard a teacher put it this way one time. He says you can you can be a teacher for ten years or you can teach the same year for ten years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't, yeah, you don't want to do that. You want to, you want to, the, the material, it just becomes, if it's not, if it's not like cutting edge, interesting to you, it's not going to feel that exciting to the students. But if you're like the lead learner, like if you're excited, cause you just, you just learn this and it's like the most profound thing in the world to you now, right? This moment in time, they feel that energy, even if the lesson is not as well developed. Right. I think that's key is kind of your students are going to know you're investing time into them and your lessons. And that's important. I know for me, the thing you had mentioned and kind of is similar for my experiences, those projects, like uh, I want to say two summers ago now, maybe three, I worked on the gamification, gamifying my entire course for my university level students. And those projects for me fuel my teaching fire. It kind of helps me look forward to trying these things out and bringing them to the classroom. It kind of re-energizes me in a way. Um, but again, not all of us are lucky enough where I've, I had some time off in the summer and I was able to just devote time to that. And I think at the time, the podcast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's like you mentioned, it's important to you as a teacher always to reinvent and look at what you're doing and what you need to change. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I'm looking at a uh, very light rule uh, war game systems and tabletop RPGs that are rules alike is because I, I really like the idea of having just this open, these open rule game systems that you can apply to almost any lesson. And so that way it just becomes another tool in your toolkit because as a teacher, you have all these tools in your toolkit that you need to reach and find and pull out at any given time, like Kahoot, right? Oh, I could do a quiz game with Kahoot. And then I can uh, do an inquiry lead question based, uh, inquiry based a project or a project-based learning, or we can all explore this one idea or question, and then we can do that for a week. And then I can have this worksheet and this, like you're, or, you know, you can try to gamify the classroom a little bit. Like you just start giving out tokens or stickers, you know, as a reward, as an extrinsic reward, you know, and that works for about a week and then the kids get burned out on that, or it's no longer interesting to them. So you kind of just need to keep reaching in for an, another toolkit, another board game, another something else, just to bring a little bit of novelty and to get everyone excited again, because in, just managing a classroom is managing, just like managing any group of people. To me, it's the constant fight against entropy. Right. You gather everyone up. OK. Every, like, OK. For instance, like the noise level in a classroom is always slowly getting higher and higher and higher until finally you're like you can't even hear the student who's trying to ask you a question to your face. Right. And so you're like then you just want to shout at the whole classroom. And then so you get everyone all together, like, let's get back on board. Let's all get back on point. Right. You know what you're supposed to be doing right now. And then it just starts all over again. It's a constant fight against entropy. And so you just need these tools that will help you to you know, reach in and, and grab at any given time. So I'm looking at games and open games and, and ways to gamify uh, and make just just make everything really engaging. And the, the other thing I learned too is that like classroom management really has more to do with preparation because if you if you don't give the students problems, they will give you problems. So you always need problems on hand to give them. You always need puzzles and games to solve. Right, right. 
And you had mentioned some more games that you're looking at maybe before we move into the game, if you have anything last words to share or anything else we want to talk about. But one thing I want to hear, maybe you can give some examples of some more games that you've been looking at for inspiration. Yeah. Um, well, before I do that, let me just, I mean, I'm sure anyone here who's designed games probably knows this, but just in case you don't, the, the materials, and this, again, and forgive me, this is a little bit thinking more that you have students in your physical classroom, but you know, the basic toolkit for any game designer can be used by any teacher that's never designed a game before. It's so simple. You really just need these like core ingredients, which are, uh, you know, dice. You just always have dice on you, right? Always have a poker deck on you because a poker deck is can be used so many different ways, right? Like you can literally divide up the classroom into groups based on just passing out cards and like everyone who gets this suit, they're in a group together or reds versus blacks, right? Or if you need to have like any kind of, you want to just like gamify your lesson a little bit, you can make it to where you pass out the cards and then you have royalty cards and then you have the, the regular cards, right? So you can divide the class up into some, you have some kind of privileged uh, students. So they, anyone who gets a royalty card, they're like the privileged, they can role play as a patrician as opposed to a plebeian if you're talking about ancient Rome. You can pass out tokens you can literally just ask questions ask students to raise their hand and anyone who who happens to answer a question correctly gets an extra chip like a poker chip so having poker chips or counting cubes on you and then index cards because index cards you can always write down for instance if i want to simulate five to one odds i can just write victory on four cards or on five cards and then you know fail on one card or fail on five cards and victory on one card and then you just shuffle them and then you let someone draw one of those cards but then you can also write on there, like uh, you can write any kind of mechanic you want on there or any kind of surprise on there or any kind of contextual detail or a surprise event deck, right? You have to draw like a crazy weather card or uh, some third element comes in or some external war party or some general decides to abandon ship and, you know, some random event happens because that's just always in reality that like, we never know what's going to happen. You can simulate all of these things with such simple materials. Yeah, I think the index card example is really good. That's, uh, I know Classcraft kind of employs something similar where it's an event at the beginning of class and you just, you you know, you draw a random card or I guess in the, the digital system, you click a button and, and a random event pops up and you have to do that before class. So that's that's really cool. And tabletop RPG dice, which is basically a 20-sided dice, 10-sided dice, maybe a pyramid-shaped dice. That's really useful, right? That and and a brick of colored dice only costs like eight bucks on Amazon. So just always have a brick of six-sided dice. Awesome. So, anything else before we head into the game? Oh, uh, you asked me about some uh, war games, I think, or about games that I, I operate based on. Yeah, some examples of games you've been looking at. Yeah. So re- more recently, I've been looking at tabletop RPG light uh, rule games. So some examples are Icarus. This like kind of a you use six-sided dice, and then you can uh, kind of build a genre. You choose a genre, and you, you build a world based on that, or a city based on that. And then it's it's a tragic world, and so you stack the dice as you use them, and then eventually the dice falls. And once the dice fall, so there's there's more to it, but it's a very simple rule light system. Uh, I've been looking at some games by Ben Robbins. He makes a game called Kingdom, uh, in which three uh, three or more players can basically develop a, a, king, a fictional kingdom together. And then each of them plays 
controls a different aspect of the kingdom together. And so they adjudicate each other as opposed to there being a dungeon master. They all kind of dungeon master each other. And then uh, Honey Heist and some of these one-off uh, tabletop RPGs. Um, I'm also looking at, in terms of wargaming, uh, I'm finding that the, did you, I don't know if you listened to Radio Lab, but Radio Lab recently did a whole episode where they wargamed uh, an election scenario to, to try to predict what is the worst ways that uh, this election, this most recent oh. American election could go. Yeah, the the I didn't realize. Maybe is it based on a research that another group did? I've read yes. a I've read a paper uh, that a group did a simulation based on election. Yeah, I didn't know Radiolab talked about it. That's awesome. Yeah, they ran four different war game uh, simulations. And so we say war game. There was no war involved, but basically we use these simple war game rules to simulate uh, anything and everything that we need to to see how things could could play out. And so you have role playing. You have different experts role playing as certain things, and then they make choices. And uh, yeah, then there's an outcome, and there's referees that choose these things. But uh, I look at I've been looking at Matrix games and. NSDM has an even simpler system. NSDM is a, the national security decision-making game. And in a national security decision-making game, you literally just give out roles and then you tell them you tell them what they're, like for instance, someone can represent the Iraqi police, another represents the American military's interest there, and then another person can represent the actual Iraqi citizens. And then they each have their own uh, wants and desires, right? Their, their own incentives. Once you've got that explained to them, then they literally just write down on a sheet of paper what they want to do. And then any other player that it involves has to sign off on it. And they kind of just adjudicate each other. So it's like really simple, really light, but it leads to really dynamic discussions. And it tends to get much more in-depth analysis and engagement from the participants. That's awesome. Those are some, I think, really good resources for anyone listening to check out. That's awesome. Yeah, and I also really like the Fate Accelerated uh, tabletop RPG because it you could use it you can use it to fit any basically any kind of fiction any kind of genre. I've heard good things about Fate the system. I've never really looked into it. I'm very new to tabletop RPGs. Where I'm actually going to GM my first um, RPG start tomorrow. Actually, as this recording, we're going to create characters and maybe start it tomorrow. But um, I'm doing that because I think it's like you've just mentioned, there's a lot of mechanics and resources and ideas that come from tabletop RPGs that you can employ in your classroom. Yep. And uh, I'm trying to make a really light version of Alliance right now. So that one that just two or three students can just sit down together and a teacher can sit down together and play. And uh, yeah, basically uh, kind of like Fate Accelerated. Fate Accelerated, if you've ever seen plus or minus dice, like dice, six-sided dice that have pluses, minuses, and, and blanks on them. We use a similar system, but we just use a, a set of like a, a very short deck of cards. And these cards have like, you know, success and failure and somewhere in between and then like success, but with a twist or failure, but with but can be turned into a success if you make a large sacrifice. And so we have this kind of deck of cards so that uh, to keep the game fun and interesting and not fall into the traps of some poorly designed games. All right, John, stick around. I'm going to chat a little bit with Rich about what we just talked about, and then we're going to play our game. All right, and we are back. So, Rich, what are some things that stood out to you based on the conversation Sean and I had? Well, one, December seems so long ago, doesn't it? 
<laughs> but, uh, yeah. Also, I don't, I don't know. I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, it seems that he's really good at making that like student center class, um, especially with all his uh, games that he creates. And that's something that I think all teachers should definitely strive to do. Um, and he definitely seems to do it in a, in a pretty interesting way. And uh, the other thing that I, I really liked, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was like, you can teach for 10 years or be a teacher for 10 years, meaning like you can teach the same subject over and over again, or you can kind of change things up. And I completely agree with that. Like, I get bored sometimes. <laughs> like, I taught in class last year, and I'm like, all right, I want to change it up. I want to take some risks and stuff. And uh, I think doing like board games in the classroom is definitely a way to do that. Right. Yeah, I think... Um... I think about my teaching career and I mean, I've taught kind of all over the place and uh, different age groups, mainly university, but for the first time ever, I was teaching the same content two semesters in a row. Usually it was different from semester to semester, but for the first time ever a couple of years ago, and I was uh, excited because I didn't have to reinvent the wheel that time around, but I did have other, I had a new course to teach. So it wasn't all like the same stuff, but yeah, I totally agree that I like to kind of iterate on past courses and past semesters. Yeah, I mean, of course, like you want to build on what you did last year, but it's also nice to, I think a board game is a perfect like curveball in a way, right? Like, because you can make it more fun. It doesn't take too much time up. It could be like one or two days. Right, right. So I'm also curious because I have never played a mega game and I really, really want to play a mega game. I've seen some videos online and it looks super fun. I'm that kind of gamer that really likes to dive into something and get really immersed in the world. So I'm curious what your take on either mega games just as a thing to do for fun or for classroom learning. Uh, for I think for classroom learning, I think it's great. I mean, that's kind of I, I believe what a lot of like the model UN is kind of modeled off of and even he was talking about like different war games and stuff that's like a great means of learning and teaching um, so I think it it's, it's great for students uh, for my own enjoyment yeah of course right like that's fun stuff <laughs> it kind of be t- it would be tough to do it right now I think I'm, I mean obviously but hopefully hopefully soon um, hopefully soon so anything else to add to what we talked about before we head into our game? Uh, again, I really liked this interview. Uh, speaking about like, you know, <laughs> it's an interesting perspective to look at it that like a school is one way or another like a board game, right? Or some sort of tabletop game. <laughs> you have like to build up your character and kind of learn and then these mini bosses are the quizzes or these mega bosses are like college applications. I thought that was a kind of fun way to look at it. Let's see if I could sell that to my students though and see what they think. <laughs> yeah. You just throw the flavoring on top. <laughs> I think it works to an extent. I mean, definitely you can use a lot of game mechanics to create school as a game. There are schools that do that, but yeah. Uh, I think also there's a, an app or I guess like a diary, a journal that you use to gamify your life and you go through different uh, levels in your life and you like choose things that you want to improve, whether it's health or uh, I don't know, mental health and you kind of create a gamified experience. I'll have to leave it in the show notes maybe if I can find it, but let's jump into our game.
You've played this before, and I will explain it here to everyone listening. Uh, so we're playing Wavelength. Explain that one more time. Yeah, you won last time. I think you're one for one and two. You have one win and two losses. I know my pizza slice. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see if uh, you take home the the win this this week. So it's Wavelength. I'll give you two things that are on a scale of zero to 100 in the game there's an actual dial that you use but we use numbers to quantify it for the podcast so it might be something from cold zero hot to 100 so our scale for this game or this round is historically important is a hundred and i want you to guess a number based on my clue big bang historically speaking zero is it's not impact at all is not historically a hundred being very impactful and your hint is big bang so i'm i'm this is tough because one end end of it i would think like yeah the big bang totally a hundred right but the other hand of me thinks nah he wouldn't do that i'm thinking like the big bang theory like the tv show and that that i don't think that's that historically accurate so which one would you pick hmm Big Bang is is the hint. Yes, Big Bang. No, no humming or anything before or after. No, just Big Bang is the clue. And historically irrelevant zero to historically relevant one hundred. Okay, I I would say it's like the Big Bang, so I would go a hundred. Sure. Let's listen to Sean's musing on guessing as well. Historically important is a hundred, and I want you to guess a number based on my clue. Big Bang. <laughs> well, I mean, it's obviously like super important and relevant in terms of science, <laughs> but it, it all depends on how you define story or history. Because uh, we have like prehistory, which is basically like before writing, right? Before the records that we have, or the stories that we remember people telling. If it's before that, <laughs> and we only discovered it through science. It's a kind of a theory. It's like, does that qualify as history or not? <laughs> so that's his his kind of uh, <laughs> working through the the answer. So let's listen to his answer. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll just go for a hundred. I guess you are correct. <laughs> All right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So so technically, in the game and wavelength, it's a cooperative game. So you guys would be working on a team to try to guess my clue. So I guess you both win. And I lose, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I'll take a win. I'm doing one. <laughs> All right, Rich, thank you again for coming on the show. And I hope you can join us when we do do our video cast episodes so everyone can see your lovely face. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I'll be sure to be stopping by sometime soon. All right, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show. If anyone wanted to reach out to you or if you're working on anything, I know you mentioned uh, the Alliance game, you're looking at a simplified version, but if you're working on anything else that you want to share with our listeners, where might they find that? Yeah, actually, uh, I'm looking for volunteers if anyone wants to play over the internet. Um, I'm Basically, I've gotten, I'm working on a card game called Alliance Trade Wars, and this is dealing with sustain- the problem of sustainability. And so, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to, and then I also do a podcast these days, uh, kind of a personal journal and, and some lessons that I think are useful and critical for people to know. So this is bestclassever.org. If you go there, I have a newsletter, a newsletter so people can find out about 
uh, anytime I launch a game or anytime I, if anyone wants to join a game test or just wants to play some educational games, uh, or if you want to find out about the next uh, mega game, which is probably going to be some time off into the future since events, event games are not really popular right now. But yeah, you can always find me at bestclassever.org. Awesome. And we'll be sure to add that to the show notes too. Yes. Oh, and I will also be sharing very soon. I will be sharing, or I'll have an article about my King Henry uh, lesson that I kind of turned into a game. Oh, perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. So again, that's bestclassever.org. Yes. Awesome. So thank you so much for coming on the show and hopefully we'll chat again soon. Great. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.